was lost, but he brought me in all his love for me. All his love for me. Who the sun sets free, always free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes I Let the light roll. 
Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome home to Trinity. I feel like I've been away for a month, but I've only been away a week, but I'm glad to be home. I want to thank everyone who made my vacation possible. It was just relaxing. Someone asked me this morning uh, what I enjoyed doing the most, and I said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and just sitting in the sun. And I want to thank my daughters for planning the whole thing, and all of you who helped out in taking on added responsibilities, our Wednesday teaching crew and, and our Sunday morning. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, and all those who uh, plugged in and filled in throughout the week. To do different things and we just appreciated a time away would you stand with me please we're going to repeat a verse of scripture this morning together that I'm going to be preaching about in just a little while you can either do it King James or non King James but I I prefer the King James on this one John 3 16 would you just praise God with me for John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen? Father God, we come in the name of the one who loved us first and gave himself for us. We ask your blessing upon our gathering today. We pray a blessing upon each one who's watching by the live stream. We ask your touch upon the Stewart family today. We thank you that we had the privilege of being with and seeing the life and witness of Rita, Terry's mom. And she's now in your presence. No pain, no suffering. Welcome her home, Father God, and comfort the family today and in the days to come. Meet with us here in this place. Transform us by your Holy Spirit and by the power of the Word. Meet us in a fresh way today. Let not one of us leave this place the same that we came in. Do something in me today. Do something in each one of us. Receive our praise, Father God. Thank you for giving us Jesus as a sign of your great love. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the King of glory.
flight <laughs> to go back with him one day. He's going to come for us. Amen? Amen? Praise God. You may be seated. I'm filling in for JR today, and I'm going to make the announcements. Going to give it my best shot. We do want to welcome everyone here today. And if you are a guest with us today, we want to greet you and thank you for being with us here at Trinity. And Mark is walking up and down the aisle. Well, he's just walking down the aisle right now. And if you're a guest with us today, if you'd be so kind as to slip up your hand, he has a VIP card to give to you. We'd like for you to fill it out. Later on in the service, we're going to be taking up an offering. You can drop it in the offering plate and we have a record of your visit with us. And then after the service, we want to greet you in the back and have a special gift for you. Could you join with me in welcoming any guests today here at Trinity? Welcome home. Welcome home to Trinity. There's lots of neat things that are on the horizon going to be happening here. You have your calendar of next month. Can you believe it's approaching April already? Unbelievable. This coming Tuesday night, we have my kind of fundraiser. You want to pick up one of these in the lobby, and it is a dine to donate. And you take this with you, and on Tuesday night, we're going to gather at the Texas Roadhouse in Grove City, and we're going to feast. And 10% of everything that you uh, put into that is going towards the youth fundraiser for the youth missions trip, which is coming up in June. I'm excited about it. I'm going to be going on this missions trip, and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I'm going to go. I'm going to help out. But you can help out by going and feeding your face and your family, and 10% of that donation night will go back immediately to student ministries. We have coming up an entire month of exciting things for you in April. We want to remind you that on next Saturday, next Saturday, I have a informational meeting. We're going to be meeting down in the Bible study room, room 100 downstairs, and we're going to be giving information out about our upcoming next year's trip to the Holy Land. You want to be here, or you want to, we're going to try and uh, live stream it as well, but we're going to be telling you all the details about the trip, and we're going to be having some handouts for you about how to pack and all the different things. We're going to try and answer all of your questions. And you say, well, I'm, I've already been. Why don't you just come and enjoy reliving the adventure that you had in Israel and you can share some of your thoughts as well. We, we have tried to keep it as inexpensive as possible, and many of the trips that you'll see advertised are far more than this, usually about $1,000 more than our trip. We try to keep it as inexpensive as possible, but we're going to see all the sights, and we're going to walk where Jesus walked and where the prophets prophesied. And we're going to see some exciting things and you can be a part of it. I've been excited personally because I have people from my previous churches that I pastored that are going to be going with us. I have a couple ladies that have already signed up 
from when I was pastoring over in Eastgate. And then we have some from here that are already signed up. I have a couple that's coming from uh, Bell Fountain uh, for the Saturday meeting. And they're going to be with us. Uh, they're hoping to go with us as well. Also, a couple from down in Lebanon who used to be in my church when I pastored up in Cleveland. I'm just so excited. And uh, we're going to have a wonderful time walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You can pick up a brochure in the lobby, South Lobby, and you can be at that informational meeting and be ready to go. Also coming up, we want to look at the week that changed the world. We start off, we have Palm Sunday, next Sunday, Palm Sunday, and the Lord has given me a special message for that day from where I stand. We're going to be looking at the cross from different vantage points, different people, and what they saw from where they stood at the cross. And you'll want to be here for that. We're going to be having palm branches to praise the Lord with as well, and you can be a part of that next Sunday. We also have the Good Friday Night of Worship. Looking forward to that as well. Plan now to come and worship the Lord together, celebrating what he did for us at Calvary. Then the men's breakfast is coming up. Please sign up in the South Lobby for that. Uh, a week from Saturday on Saturday, April 8th, and then following that as a board meeting. Then... I was thinking about this all the time I was away. The upcoming resurrection celebration on Easter Sunday. We're going to have a breakfast together. We'll not be having Sunday school as regular class that day. We're going to have a breakfast and devotional during the breakfast time. And then following that, praise and worship. And we're going to be sharing the drama. We're, we're going to redo the drama, The Centurion. Not only from the arrest and trial and crucifixion, but three days later, what the centurion witnessed as he went to the tomb. And you can be a part of that. Be inviting some folks. Be inviting some folks to this. Be sure and sign up for the breakfast so we know how many to prepare for. Lots of other things going on. Be sure and read your bulletins. And we're going to be taking up our offering today we haven't done this in over three years. Staggering, staggering. We've been having the, the offering plates down here and in the back, but as a part of this morning's message, we're going to be taking up a, a formal offering and inviting you to make investment in the kingdom of God at that time. So hold on to your tithes and your offerings and be prepared to give later on as an aspect of our worship today giving praise to him let's stand together right now and let's join in praising god worshiping him because he is coming again and it could be today let's praise him
let's just express our love to him right now. We've been singing praise. Let's speak some praise in the direction of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's give him some love and praise right now. Bless your name. Bless your name. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, all that you're doing, who you are and what you've accomplished. Thank you for your immaculate love, your saving grace, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Father God, thank you for the Word. Thank you for your Word that reminds us of who you are and what you have planned for your people. Father, meet with us today. Energize us by the power of the Spirit of God to become more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. amen. Praise God. I had more power in my voice there in the last minute there. Praise God. You may be seated for just a moment. I forgot to mention, as we're looking at some of the highlights that are coming up, we have Palm Sunday, and from where I stand of different views of the cross, we have the, the drama of the centurion, we have the praise, night of praise and worship related to the cross on Good Friday, and then the Sunday after, uh, Easter, uh, Pastor Jamie is going to be sharing a message on the power of the resurrection because he's still out of there. He's not in that tomb anymore. His resurrection power is not just for Easter. It's for every day. We're going to be looking at the power of the resurrection. Praise God. We already quoted one of the verses we're going to be looking at today. I'm inviting you to turn in your Bibles to probably the most familiar verse in all of Scripture. I was kidding around with uh, some folks the other day about my favorite Scripture when I was growing up. It changes over time. My favorite Scripture when I was growing up was Jesus wept. Because I could remember it, and I, I won all kinds of awards for scripture memorization. <laughs> Jesus wept. And, uh, but then I progressed to John 3.16, and I invite you to join me in standing for the reading of God's word. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and beginning with verse 14. John chapter 3 and verse 14. <clears throat> and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Be seated and keep that word in front of you today. We're going to get back to it in just a little while. As you read that verse in its context, God's giving was a result of God's loving. God's giving was a direct result of God's loving. He loved, and as a result of that great love, he so loved the world. He gave. We'll be coming back to this portion of Scripture, but we see a pattern throughout the Scriptures of this dichotomy of loving and giving, of responding to God's love and God's faithfulness and giving. Don't get scared. This is not a prosperity message. Well, it kind of is. It's a spiritual prosperity message. How many of you want to become more like Jesus? We are never more like Jesus, like the Father, than when we're giving out of love. Giving is not some magical thing that reaps rewards for us. Scripturally, it's a result of loving and responding to his love. I'm going to take you to a few places today. Turn in your scriptures to Genesis chapter 14. If you're not quick, you're going to have to take my word for it. I've got a lot to get in here this morning. I didn't preach last week. I didn't teach two Bible classes last week. I'm loaded for bear. Genesis chapter 14 and beginning with verse 18 tells this event. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him a tithe of all. You know the story well, I'm sure, but I've got to retell it for you. It's an exciting story. It starts off really bad. We find that Abram and his family and Lot's nephew, they traveled into the land of Canaan as God had promised them. God had made a covenant with Abram. He came all the way from Ur of the Chaldees, and they settled in the, the fruited plain of Judea, and they had some problems between Lot, his nephew, and 
Abram's servants because they were bickering and fussing all the time. How many of you know that sometimes you fuss with the closest relative you got with? How many of you have fussed today already on your way to church? You started fussing for something stupid. And uh, I've told you before that uh, uh, a second car saved our marriage uh, in the early days because I, when we were pioneering the church over in Reynoldsburg, had to go early to set up the union hall, all the chairs and everything, and clean up from the beer bust they had the previous night so we could have church and not stick to the floor. And uh, if I hadn't had a second car, me sitting out front honking the horn did not motivate Linda. <laughs> well, it motivated her. I'll take that back. She was motivated to kill me. So, you know, sometimes we bicker and fuss with those we're closest to. And even though Abram and Lot were close, their servants were fussing over the water rights and everything. So he said, you pick a spot and I'll take everything else. So Lot moved towards Sodom and Gomorrah. This was before it really got bad in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's another story. Well, when they were there... Abram received word from a servant who had escaped from the attack that kings from the north, far east of Babylon, thousand miles away, had come down to the south and had pillaged every city down there. They had come to Sodom and Gomorrah. The leader of the group was Chedorlaomer. Say that 20 times fast. Chedorlaomer. And he came down, don't say it right now 20 times, Beth. Don't, don't, don't take everything I say literally. But, okay, go ahead, go ahead. You, you started it. Chedorlaomer, Chedorlaomer, About third time in, you slur your words. Chedorlaomer and his forces had come down. They were trained army, army uh, personnel. They came in and they took captive all the wives and the children from Sodom and Gomorrah and other cities in that plain. They not only did that, but they pillaged all the gold and the silver, all the possessions, and they carted it off and took the people as slaves on their way back to Edom, on the other side of Babylon. Now, when Abram got the message, what's he supposed to do? These are trained armies. Five armies are up there, and, and they're trained. They're outfitted with swords and shields and everything else, and they have a mighty force. They've taken two entire cities captive with them and all the possessions. Well, you know, when somebody you care about, you may have fussed with them before, but when somebody you care about is in trouble, how many of you know you're going to do something about it? doesn't matter the odds. And Abraham went to all of his servants who had just weeks before that, months before that, had been fussing with the servants and with Lot himself. And he says, my nephew's in trouble. They've been taken captive. All the men, women, children, and all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah have been taken captive, and they're taking them to Edom. And he says, I, I want to go after him. 
and he had his servants that were raised in his house that were not fighting servants. They cared for the sheep and they cared for the oxen and the cattle. They cared for the fields and the crops. They cooked the meals. They did all of the other things, but they did not fight. But he took all of those servants trained in his household and we're going after him. And the scripture says that Abram and his servants pursued the enemy. The trained enemy is moving in that direction, but hot on their heels is Abram and his servants. They're untrained, they're not skilled, but they went with the, the anointing of God upon them. There's a sense in which it doesn't matter how big the giant, when you know you're in the center of God's plan and purpose, there's a power that you cannot account for. They pursued them. They pursued them all the way through Israel, pursued them all the way to the north country. They took a right turn near Damascus and were headed towards Edom when they finally caught up to them. And God gave a strategy to Abram. And ultimately, some other time we'll talk about how he won the victory, but he won it not through might or power, but by the Spirit of the Lord and his untrained, unskilled, unarmed forces of servants conquered five armies and took back everything that had been stolen. Every single man, woman, boy, and girl, and teenager that had been taken captive. And all the gold, all the silver, all the bronze, all the possessions started coming back home with them. It was because God gave them a victory. They knew it. How many of you have been in that situation? You knew it was the Lord that helped you and nobody else. It wasn't you were so great. You're standing in amazement. I can't believe I came through that in victory. Amen? It had to be the Lord. If it had not been for the Lord on our side, where would we be, the psalmist said. Well, coming back, they passed by a place called Salem. We know it as Jerusalem. And out from that city came a man that's mysterious. But we're going to learn something about him today. Melchizedek. Melchizedek came to Salem. And when he got there, had all the captives, they were still, you know, uh, 75 to 100 miles away from their home. With all the possessions and everything, the king of Salem, a high priest of God. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. They didn't even have a priesthood yet because that comes after Exodus, right? <laughs> Not in Genesis, that's in Exodus. There's no priesthood yet. There's no tabernacle. There's no temple. There's none of that. But there was still a priest of the Most High God. Not of some foreign God, but it's very clear it was the Most High God. This is proof, my friends, that the Bible specifically tells us the story of God's salvation and how he used the Jewish people to bring Messiah and salvation to the whole world. But he was not inactive 
in the rest of the world. God had others that were committed to him just like Melchizedek. He was an appointed priest of God by God. Not by an organization, not by a confederation, not by a religious institution. He was sovereignly anointed by God to be a high priest. You see, God is not just working with the Jew. The Bible recounts mostly what God did through and in and with the Jewish people. Hear what Jesus said. John chapter 10 and verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. For that person that says, well, what about the person who uh, lives in a country and they've never heard about God? You mean like Abram? God sovereignly spoke to Abram even though he was surrounded by paganism and created a covenant. Oh, you mean like Melchizedek? There's no reference that anybody other than the Jebusites, a Canaanite cultic religion that sacrificed infants, was prevalent in Jerusalem. But in the midst of pagan idolatry, somebody ought to shout here, in the midst of evil times, in the midst of an evil pagan people, God spoke and anointed a man called Melchizedek to be a priest unto him in the midst of all the foreign paganism. And we serve the same God today. Well, when Abram got to the gates of the city before he even came there, Melchizedek, king of Salem, the great high priest of the most high God, came out. And he brought him, oh, this is a whole other message. He brought him the bread and the wine. Uh, he's he's a, a type of Christ. He's not Christ, but he's a type of Christ. And he came out. And he blessed Abram. He made reference to something that he could only have known about from God. That God had given Abram victory over his enemies and had blessed him. And Abraham, when he heard the voice of the high priest of Salem, Melchizedek, offer a blessing, he remembered again, it wasn't my servants that won the victory. This was a God thing. This was a God victory. That something came over Abram. Something flood, flooded his soul because he realized it wasn't us. It was a God thing. And here is a representative, the high priest, Melchizedek. He came out and he blessed us. And because he blessed us, we're going to bless God by blessing him. And he took from his possessions that he had brought back 
a tenth, a tithe. And he bowed down and worshiped God. You see, loving begets giving. When he was impacted, when the reality of what had happened up in the Damascus area hit him, it was a God victory. It was a, a God victory that his love for God and what God had done for him resulted in Abram giving a tithe. You see, in unexpected ways, we see it played out in the scripture. He offered him a tithe. You say, well, you know, I, I don't understand this thing called a tithe. Well, I'm getting to that. The tithe was not a mandate from God. It was an opportunity to express love for what God had done. Do you hear me? It is not a rule. It is not a mandate. It is not chapter 15, verse 42. It is when God does something, when God comes in, when God shows his love, when God shows his mercy, when God shows his power, there should be something within us that responds back. And some ways we can only give to express our love. So it really comes from Abraham's heart, not God's mandate. Well, another place in Scripture. This is decades later, many years later. We're all the way in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob, he's a real mess sometimes. You know, he's, he's sneaky. He's a, he's conned his brother out of stuff he's lied he's stolen he's done all kinds of things but when he goes over to his homeland it comes back to haunt him there's always somebody who's a bigger cheat than you are well he's been over there and he's coming back home now but he's coming back realizing that his brother has taken a vow to kill him on sight Hmm. And his brother was very capable of doing so. But he felt that he had to come back and make things right. He had met God on the way over to his homeland. And he stopped at the exact same spot on the way back. He met at a place called Bethel house of God, a place where he met God. Verse 18 of chapter 28, Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it and set it up as a pillar and poured oil. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city has been Lutz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, 
and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Jacob was following the precepts that his daddy had taught him. But he didn't have a personal relationship with God as yet. How many here were raised in church? Your mom and your dad, grandma, grandpa, somebody taught you about the Lord and lived the Christian life in front of you. I was blessed. Had a very godly mother and I want you to continue to lift up Terry. Several years ago, Terry's mom, she'd been praying for him for years and he came to know the Lord as his Savior and she, she's smiling from heaven today. But she couldn't save him. She could only talk to the one who does save. She could only pray. Her prayers were answered. But my parent, parents, my mom, having a relationship with God and training me in the way that I should go did not make me saved. It didn't make me saved. Make me guilty a lot. <laughs> and, and she would remind on, on different things. I... I I was over listening, overhearing my, my daughter, one daughter talking to her son, and he says, well, you know, last month you did not put your tithe in. Well, Mom, I had this. He says, you did not put your tithe in. Well, he was going to do that when, as soon as he got back. I remember those discussions with my mother. I'd go to work and come home, and she'd say, where's your paycheck? And Albers supermarkets were very kind to me in those days. I made $1.75 an hour. Big stuff. And she says, set aside your tithe. Well, I did. But it wasn't because of my relationship so much with God as my mom's. Jacob had made offerings to the Lord before, but not so much because he wanted to, because he was following a pattern that had been established. Parents do not give up the pattern. Illustrate it before your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews. But now Jacob has a personal relationship with the God who's been revealed to him. A stairway to heaven, angels going up and down. He said, this, this has got to be the gate into heaven. He had a personal, and he made a covenant with God. And he said, because of what you're doing for me and what you promised to do, I covenant, I make a vow this day. I can't do anything back to you, but I can give a tithe 
unto you. Well, what does God need with your tithe anyway? It's not like he's going to go out and buy something. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills. <laughs> no, but we make investment back in to what God is doing. And it's a praise to him. The giving follows God's loving. When God does something that shows his faithfulness to us, our expression can be several ways, but one of the ways is to give. We're never more like Jesus than when we're giving. Again, it was not a rule. Nobody, his daddy didn't come to him and, and tell Jacob, you know, you've got to give a tenth back to God. This is the, the second mentioning of the tithe or the tenth. The first one was Abraham, and it was Abraham's idea, prompted by the love that he sensed from God and God's provision and victory. And this time, it's not a rule. It's something that was birthed from Jacob's heart. And at that place where he met God and became a covenant with God and gave his tithe, it's also a place where God changed his name from a deceiver to a prince of God. He changed his eternal status. And he loved God for it. He became a person of the tithe. From the very beginning of time, God planned to set in motion our scripture from this morning, John 3, 16. You look at the, at the whole story. You see from the garden and beyond, there was a sacrifice of love and a response to that love. And we see that when the Israelites were out in the wilderness and they had drifted from God, God said, I'm going to just pull my hands of protection back a bit. And when God pulled his hands back, poisonous vipers came into the encampment. And they, they flooded the place. I can't even imagine. I don't like snakes. I specifically do not like poisonous snakes. The description in the Old Testament, it's like the floor was moving with snakes. You could not step without stepping into it. It's kind of like our world today. You can't hardly walk any place without seeing the devil's thumbprint all over it. The serpent is at work. But aren't you glad that Genesis... 3.15 says that serpent may bruise his heel, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. And so he said, the Lord said to them, I want you to lift up a brazen serpent, a servant, symbol of sacrifice, and paying the debt. And when you look up, you're going to live. When you look up in faith, and, and that's where it comes, it says, He said that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's loving precipitated God's giving. Jesus didn't come as an expression of God's wrath, but of God's love. And what a sacrifice it was. God gave his only son. Only a parent can understand what we're talking about here. That God sent Jesus as his gift of love to die for your sins and for mine and for the sins of the whole world. His loving expedited his giving. And when we sense God's love, when we sense the sacrifice of his giving at Calvary, when we sense that, and we, we see that, that God planned this all out from the beginning of time, waiting for the right moment, because he loved you even though you were not even thought of yet. But you were in the heart of God. God so loved, could you say it with me? God so loved me. He loved me. Just say me. He so loved me. Sometimes we can get the idea, well, he so loved the world, and we can forget about the world is just another expression of all the me's and all the you's and all of us. We were yet sinners but Christ died for us. And our expression back to him, until we come to know him as Savior and our Lord and forgiver of our sin, we ignore him, we reject him, we don't give him due honor and service, but what better expression? The God who loved gave, and we received that love, and nobody tells me I have to give. Nobody tells me I have to set aside a tenth. Nobody has to tell me. It's not a rule book that I must abide by. It is an abject reality that God so loved he gave. And because I've received his love, I want to give back to him. I want others to know the privilege of knowing his love. So when I give, God doesn't receive it tangibly, but he receives it in the way that I've given it to him so that others can hear the gospel preached, so the camera can go on and somebody at home can hear the gospel preached. 
It, it goes out so that missionaries can be sent. The Connors are leaving today to go to France, and they're going to take the Word of God, and we've invested in them by having them here with us, and we're going to continue to invest in them, and the Cordobas are going to be going, and other people that we sent around the world, we give so that others may know the love of God, which transforms you from a dead soul into an everlasting life. I'm not making any promises of great wealth to you. There's enough crack pots in the world to give you that. I have a little phrase I want you to learn. It's I-T-I. -I. Say it with me. I-T-I. Ignore the idiots. <laughs> there are people right now today that are preaching, well, you give and then you get back. Well, technically true, but you don't give to get. You do not give to get. Ignore the idiots. Shake your head at them when, when you hear them or you read it in a book. Well, you, you need a blessing. Well, then you, you, need, to, you need to give seed to this, this, and then the, God will take that seed and God will multiply that seed a hundredfold and depending on your faith. And if you have enough faith, you're going to get the blessing. So people are trying to tabulate out. Let's see. I need a new car. I better give this much because that's how much the car costs. There's no love in that. There's no love in that giving. Could it be that somebody who loves money is at the root of that false teaching? The devil's a lover of money. He's the root of all evil. So get your mind off of those quacky idiots out there. I'm not preaching to you anything about that. I can testify that God blesses and God makes a way. And God does extremely amazing things as I bless him. Does that make me immune to crises? Absolutely not. Cars still break. Roofs still leak. Plumbing backs up. Hurricanes blow. Roofs fly. I don't give because of that. It's based upon the one who loved me first. I love him because he first loved me. And I give because he already gave and expressed his love. We are never more like Jesus than when we're given to him. Well, Pastor, I give other ways. I, uh, I give praise. I don't have to financially support the kingdom. I, I give praise and service. Well, let me ask you how this works out for you. Try that at the gas station. Walk up to the guest attended, if there happens to be one. 
<laughs> and say, I love the job you're doing. You're so wonderful providing this service. May I fill up my gas tank now? And he'll say, no. <laughs> but, but, but I don't believe that I ought to have to pay for this because I'm giving you thanksgiving. I'm telling everybody about how great you are. I'm sorry, sir. There's a price tag at the pump. Loving and giving. I'm unashamedly a tither. Our family has always been. Have we gone through desperate times in the past? Oh, yeah. But God has come through. If you've been on the other side of losing your job and, and all of your income and you're wondering where the next meal is coming from and the situation and you're trying everything you know, then God opens a way because you've been faithful. You give not to get, but you give because he first gave his love through Jesus to you. A unique altar call today. I asked my ushers to come forward right now. We didn't have the plate set out down front. You notice some of you say, what? Three years since we've taken up a regular style offering. The COVID requirements and try to distance people. We were going to pass the plates and, and people said, well, I don't want to touch that. I saw him. He touched it. I don't, okay. Personally gone through and sanitized all these plates today. So if you're sketchy about the person next to you, just, you know, drop it in and let him pass it or her pass it. But I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And you say, well, Pastor, I already gave my offering. Well, that's cool. That's fine. Continue to give him some praise. But there might be some here that you say, you know, I love him because he, and I want to show it today in a fresh way in my giving not to get a thing not because of a rule or a requirement because he loved me enough to give Jesus I want to love enough to give so that others know God's love here to keep the doors of the church open and the lights on keep this ministry going out on live stream to touch our missionaries around the world to spread the gospel message not because we have to but because we get to
I've not preached the idiocy of giving to get. I've preached the reality that you set the divine example from the foundations of the world that you so love this world, each one of us, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we want to reaffirm today our giving and to bless you, your name and to love you back by our giving. Take every dime and every dollar, every check, every offering envelope and put your hand upon it and touch it and spread it out around the world to touch lives that souls are saved because of what was invested today in your kingdom. <coughs> we give you all praise for it. We know we'll never be more like you, Lord,
God set the pattern that we can follow. You're never more 